Hello and welcome to episode 11 of RyePod, the arts and entertainment podcast from the Rye Arts Festival. This week, my guest is the opera and theatre director, Keith Warner. This conversation was actually one of the first we recorded for the podcast. Coronavirus lockdown had just begun, so it was interesting reviewing the episode for this introduction and seeing what's changed since March and what we're still in the dark about, particularly as regards a way out of this crisis for the arts. In addition to hearing Keith's insights into how we can take a glass-half-full approach to digging the arts out, for example, using this enforced hiatus to really examine how we can be progressive, we also talk about the potential of new technologies for renewing opera and a production of King Lear he's devising with eminent opera singers as the actors. But we start by talking about the novel he's been writing for a few years and how lockdown may well give him the opportunity to finish it. you been well um pretty well and uh, you remember from way back I've been doing this novel over the last three years yeah I was going to ask you about that well I've been I've been really strict with myself and getting up um late because I tend to write at sort of 11 at night till about three or four in the morning uh, which is what I feel best doing um okay. and uh, but I don't get up till sort of midday or something then uh, I've done a lot I've done about another 75 pages and I think you know, from a thing where I've already over the last years done about 400 pages, I think I've got about 100 odd pages to go, which would be wonderful. So I think I'll get it done. Um, I'll probably write another one by the time this is. <laughs> you know. I, I, I remember you telling me a little bit about it, but um, I'd love to talk about that some more, your writing. Well, it's a thing that goes back in time from a from a, a murder that sort of happens in 1990. And it goes back into to events that happened um during the Second World War in basically in Vienna and in a concentration camp as a result of that. But it goes to just before the war in the early 1930s yeah. um, with the birth of a child. And um, But it goes backwards. So each section goes backwards. There's uh, four or five sections. And so, you know, you start in 1990, you go back to 1960, uh, then 1946, then 19. 40 to 45 then Vienna 1930 you know so it's like a detective except it's not really a detective novel but there's a there is a thing of what this murder was about um finding it out slowly you know by by going I mean it's called going back at the moment anyway and it's actually about revisiting things in your life and then finding rediscovering truths that you thought were true and aren't and all that yeah but it's quite complicated just because of the the backward stuff and I've been writing it in the right order i.e basically from 1930 forward so then you have to go back and see how it works you know anyway but but fascinating it's like doing a huge jigsaw puzzle but it's given me a real kind of uh purpose during this time anyway I mean you know it's 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 fun to do and I really get a lot from it and Emma's been teaching okay um up until you know last week uh actually going out until about you know until they closed the schools which was a spooky time because oh yeah tube and all that but actually you know she's been in for 16 17 days now so we we think we're clear of any worry from that and apart from you know the odd half hour twice to go shopping Mm. Um, we've got a running machine in the house and all that. So, you know, we've been okay. able to do exercise. We've really kept absolutely uh, in. Um, yeah. And 
I, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I, did, I, I suppose I've, I've got so used over the years. I mean, in the business, to spending so many weekends, so many evenings, so many weeks on my own. I mean, mm. rehearsing, you know, Monday to Friday maybe. But you know, the, the being on my own is not the problem. Um, yeah. In fact, I actually rather like it. But I think, um, I think it's funny when it's enforced, it just feels, or sort of enforced, it, it does begin now to feel a bit claustrophobic, a bit like, like to go and do something wild, um, you know, like just drive through the West End or something. Just, <laughs> But, you know, you, you, I suppose you can't and you shouldn't. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been on, um, well, I guess a quarantine lockdown, to be honest, here in um, Kitchen Towers. Uh <laughs> <laughs> two bedroom flat um my wife and i say so my wife uh last week uh well actually we're coming to the end of our, our two weeks you know government sanctioned thing um because she lost her sense of smell all of oh. a sudden um which as we all know is developing yeah. into a you know a, a recognized symptom supposedly um but she she's had no other symptoms and, and i haven't had anything so but we're seeing out the 14 days so we'll be allowed out on monday i think yeah. Um, but you do get into a rhythm with it. I mean, when the lockdown started, uh, I think the main thing that I noticed, apart from the work cancellations, yeah. <laughs> um, was just a kind of, I had an inability to concentrate yeah. um, for more than about five minutes on anything for the first couple of weeks. Because um, I was kind of rubbing my hands thinking, oh, great, you know, this is an opportunity to get on with a few projects which otherwise I wouldn't have, you know, dedicated much time to or enough time to. Um, but every time I sat down to do it, I was like, oh, I can't really, I couldn't get into it. But that, that has passed now. I can understand that. I mean, it was it was a bit like, I'm certainly like that. I'm still like that about anything other than I really want to do, i.e., you know, the bills arriving and a hundred internet things I could get sorted out now, except you couldn't because probably the waiting lists or the, you know, they're not there. Yes, yes. Know, but loads of things, insurance stuff, you know, that you that uh, you've thought, oh god, I'm paying too much for that for ages, you know, and you never got round to. Um, but I can't do those things. I'm absolutely have no interest in doing that. <laughs> uh, no thing. But I can do I can do work things. It's 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 like the writing, but like yeah. you know, I get, I'm getting requests about chorus rehearsals in November, and you think, uh. am I really wasting? <laughs> um september october yeah i don't know it, it, it but i do that i can do that but not uh not kind of life things not everyday nonsense it all seems yeah. pointless somehow i don't know no that's interesting and with the writing when you're so you're working in the early hours of the morning mm. are you are you sort of in the phase where are you just doing a sort of vomit draft and throwing everything down on on paper or are you in later well I, I i i do it in a sort of weird kind of way because because of having to fit it together with this vast span of time and and facts kind of sort of going backwards um i have to do quite a lot of checking but what i've always done with writing i think uh of different sorts but this particularly is that i've yeah i vomit and then and and you know a day or sometimes two days where you can get ahead and then i go back and really correct that over the next couple of days so okay. so i i sort of get it into a kind of readable state and i find it very useful to then read it to emma uh, just to read it out loud ah uh, yeah the sm in small sections i think the other thing is because it's not in one sense a, a through narrative it's much more a kind of 
a picaresque Bildungsroman kind of thing of these time, you know, different things at different times. There's not, there's not in one sense a continuum of narrative beyond 40 pages or so, you know, and then you're on to the next thing. So, so um, within each section, yeah, I kind of sort of want to get that out. And really I'm pretty well at the end of the big section and I've got one more to do out of, as I say, uh, what was it, five or six of these sections. So, but it's connecting because I did jump. So I'm going back to connect a middle bit. So um, to the, to do the sixties bit. So uh, yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But no, I very much, I, I very much when I write, I write, and then I go back, and it, it it's weird because so much of it's historical. What I found is I, I'm not a great researcher. I never have been in the sense that I. I, I get bored if I just have to sit. I mean, I read at the beginning of this whole press two or three books that were really about, well, the various central issues. I mean, Vienna in the 30s. I mean, what uh, involves the things that doctors did in Auschwitz. That was an incredibly hard month when I did read mm. three books on that. And But, I, I mean, in the way it's not, I don't sit and I underline things, but I don't sit and write, you know, copious notes. What I do find again is once I've done this kind of vomit of a section, I I post research it and change it according to you know, if I invent stuff and then see whether it, it, it stands any chance of being in a, the real world at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um and that I, I that I can enjoy somehow that I'm finding out, you know, if what I've written by instinct or by some of it by memory actually for me now, but you know, the sixties, seventies stuff. Um, you know, had, has any real value in terms of historical fact. But, uh, you know, it's the kind of book I'm sure people will say, yeah, but that's not exactly what, you know, it's, it's, but that doesn't matter. But I have, no. I have generally got an instinct to, I mean, it's, it's all very much from the perspective of the people. So the historical thing sets itself most of the time well back from them, from them in a room or them. Okay. In a discussion, but you know, obviously, it has to impact. And I tell you what is hard is actually just keeping the whole timeline straight. You know, if he was thirty-five, then what is he now? And and would that you know could that have happened then? It, it, it's very yeah, it's very strange. Um, but 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 hugely enjoyable. Um, and I don't know what this time would be like without it now. Yeah, you must have presumably had a bunch of engagements cancelled, like like everyone. Yeah, I mean, frighteningly, I mean, now going forward, um, you know, people have, have got itchy uh, toes about, you know, now, as I say, even September, October, largely because I was going to do a new Meister Singer in Prague, which was going to open their new house. And, it's, and, and of course, they're still very, because it's a big, a huge big deal. They, they renovated the old German theatre there and, and the opening, the president was coming, Merkel, was meant to be there because it was known as the German theatre. It's where Richard Strauss conducted a lot, and you know they had they, they anyway they they've they've redone it and uh, beautifully. And I did see it a few months back. Um, new stage machinery, stately art stuff. Um, but but of course, the the for Meister Singer, there's something like getting on for four hundred costumes. Then there's you know the set. And it should have started being built two weeks ago before Easter. 
Um, yeah. And they couldn't even get the, the designers there because of the travel restrictions. Whether, if it goes on for another month or so, whether they can even get it built in time could be the reason it gets cancelled and they just do concert version or something, you know. Yes, um, yeah. And, of course, then you start getting strange letters, you know, coming from, would you really mind? I know it says in your contract the first payment will be, in, you know, September, uh, in in May. Could it now be in September when we're sure it go ahead? I thought, well, that's a bit cheesy, really, because, you know, I mean, I'm doing, you know, you've got to do the work with the designers and all that anyway yes, to get it ready. Yeah. Um, and then you'll decide you're not going to do it, and we've got no right of payment. Um, yeah, it's a very tricky situation, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's very tricky, and, and you don't want to be over, you know, over nasty about it or over thing because it's you know it's, it is impossible for everyone. But yeah, uh, on the other hand, you know, you've got to um, you've got to eat, and and I think that yeah, I mean, okay, we're fine at the moment financially. I mean, obviously. But but uh, it could be you know six months on, uh, yeah yeah. For us, it could be it could be tricky because you know we. Uh, I think for anyone, even if you earn well, I mean, if somebody had told me three years ago to save more for this, what would, <laughs> you have, would done? have done? You know? <laughs> yeah, but because yeah, what what I wonder about is the is the whole social distancing thing because it's all very well to say okay, we're going to lift restrictions um, in the sense right, you can you can go out a bit more and do this and that, but. You've still got to stay two meters away from each other. Well, you can't play in an orchestra and stay two yeah. meters away from each other. And you can't be on stage and be two meters. Away. So how's that going to work until there's a vaccine? You know. Do you know? I I, I read a well, it was a it was a video and a, a then an article, but I read a thing from a, the Korean guy who was responsible for the whole Korean kind of effort from the medical mm. point of view, and um, he said, you know, the thing about it is, is that. The, the actual virus, you know, is nano measurements being extraordinary. But in itself, even for other viruses, um, incredibly light. And so although it's not airborne, i.e. it's not carried through the air for ages and then, you know, whatever. If you are, if you cough, if you laugh, if you cheer, if you do mm. all the things you do in communal activities or, you know, even at home, you're certainly yeah. sneezing you know, and coughing. But all those kind of things like laughter in a theatre, it's enormous. I mean, there's, you know, it, it, it swamps the entire area and, and floats for a long time. So in that way, it is aerosol for, you know, minutes after that thing because it floats down very slowly. Yeah. Um, uh, because it's hardly, as he, he explained, hardly affected by gravity. I mean, you don't think of these things. And so, um, and so no, it's not airborne like some fluent thing the whole time but it is it is airborne in those circumstances so you know i can see if anyone takes that really seriously theaters and cinemas and any kind of mm. entertainment sport sports thing will be the very last thing they should actually reopen so yes let's see it's yeah. an interesting point isn't it I don't, yeah, that, that, that it that that is actually the the worst scenario for its uh, for infection is in group activity. Yeah, yeah. Because until there's a vaccine, which is you know, still going to be well at least a year away, they think. Yeah. Then you know, so we're looking at a year of not being able to. Yeah. Um, I think you know. it could be. You know, I think it could. Well, I'm I'm sure a lot of companies would just disappear. But absolutely, yeah. Let's hope there's some other brilliant solution before then. But about sort of hope against hope, but. Do you think there's any lessons that can be kind of learned while we're waiting? 
Yes, I do. I think I think funny enough, more on the political sphere maybe than the, the, the necessarily the social sphere. But I think I think one of the things that is true about theatre is that of course people need to be paid who take part in it. But actually, we're we're not, and within you know what we should be facing and learning for this in, as regards global warming and that we what we do. I mean, I've been on about this for years in many other... What we do is essentially not about things, but it's about people. It's about people resources, i.e. acting and and creativity is something that doesn't necessarily burn or waste the environment. It doesn't, it doesn't take part in a lot of the socioeconomic sphere that, that other things need to exist. And, you know need to morally compromise themselves over and and you know i'm not criticizing it's just how how some things are within our society and i think we should come back fighting saying look here we are theater doesn't really need very much to exist yes. it does need to give the people a, more than just a, a subsistence wage it, it should reward people for doing what they do but but yeah. we can actually set up very easily and do things very easily we can use the internet and film and that we can use a platform in a park you know we can mm -hmm. use you know uh, uh you there's lots of arguments about use of electricity and lights you know there's a lot of green parties in europe that are beginning to be very anti-arts because of you know environmental things like the amount of electricity a theater uses. yeah energy consumption yeah and, and energy consumption generally, and 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 also the cost of that. We'll have these questions. I can promise within minutes the cost of that against paying for the NHS. You know, they, they won't they won't say uh, we shouldn't we should do a little bit less football and support the arts. They will say you know we should we should um, we should pay for the NHS quite rightly in many ways as we see. But so I think we've got to come up with very, very strong ways of performing and of presenting ourselves as mm. essential. The, I mean, the other thing that's just obvious and nobody points out too much is that God knows how people would have survived this time, especially if it goes on for more months, without Netflix, without actors, without, oh, God, yeah. without entertainment, without yeah. music. It is, if there was ever a time to show how essential it is but how buried that seems to be in our consciousness. Um, this is it. Um, yeah. I think we should come back fighting, but with a good plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it'll really start to bite, I suppose, for most people when uh, there's no longer any new things going on Netflix or yes. wherever, because, you know, the production has halted on all that stuff as well. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe yeah. that's when... Well, I must say, I mean, it's a bit like that anyway. I mean, if, you, if like me, you've spent your life, you know, away from home and you've relied for a couple of hours of anything from, you know, what, what used to be um, taking DVDs in plastic containers everywhere to to now Netflix, you know, via iTunes store and all that. Um, yeah. Is there any way, you, you, there seems to be millions of things there but um, there truly isn't. I mean, after a while, if you love thrillers like I do, you've seen them all. 
I mean, and there's yeah, there's there's absolute trash around which you can't watch for more than ten minutes. <laughs> but you know, anything that's worth watching, all the TV stuff, it's amazing now how I'm beginning to find things. So the the new season of Ozark, which I've just got into, is like a is like a you know uh, a, a lightning bolt in the wilderness of of something because oh yeah, it's something new and it's something good. Yeah. I guess what that could mean is that what there needs to be is much more use and much more delving into and access to historical archive. Mm. We're seeing a little bit of that with streaming from the opera houses. Yep. I mean, we've a lot of, you know, I, I don't know how people beyond us knowing, know that, you know, we, we, we have all this right to air legal situation that came in uh decade or so ago where you know when they record something from the opera house or any subsidized theater uh-huh. um you do not get a payment for that um as as the director or a singer you you have they have at least one or sometimes it's two you know opportunities to do that and if they turn it into a dvd or well, yeah you negotiate beyond that into a contract maybe we have to also accept that a historical archive of things maybe five or ten years old um, are just generally available and, and just give up the idea of getting any payment or royalties from that. I mean, it's a hard thing, but, but people need to feel, I think, access to our work um, as part of their life, and it would just open up millions of new treasure troves of stuff that we would like to see. Yes. Um, on a non-commercial basis. I mean, I don't think the arts, except for the big stars, have ever been so hungry about money that mm. they couldn't. some solution couldn't be found for that. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think that's another thing. Why, why not make it available? Uh, you know, a huge range of stuff that was never available before. Yes, um, yeah. I mean, I think it strikes me that one of the dangers of having so much... Uh, stuff online now i mean you know whether it's coming from people's you know a violinist living room yeah. or um wherever it's coming from is that there was already a malaise shall we say in people that were reluctant to pay for anything online but um it's i i guess what the danger is that they're now because there's it, it, arguably never been a better time to consume culture online because so many organizations are realizing that's the only thing they can do right now yeah. but is that going to inculcate people uh, you know, a year from now, into into being so used to to not having to pay for all this wonderful stuff that's going out, that it sort of creates a you know a double whammy somehow. You well, know, I I think I think I mean, like you do with Netflix or Sky or or the BBC. I mean, the idea that to join certain organs of this, you know, you pay twenty five fifty pound a year. Yeah. Um, I think that's one, you know, that that that's one possible way of doing it. I mean, I've always thought, I mean, I, I a view of mine about the future of opera has long since been, and I put this forward um, on on various occasions for various companies I was, you know, closely involved in or even running, was that you should have now an online um, friends kind of d- deal, whereby perhaps at least at the beginning, one production a year at Covent Garden, using their workshops, using the the, the the fantastic rehearsal space they have there, they should turn them into studios and actually just make one or two operas a year, 
use the budget to do it in a studio. Lee, we've talked about this, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 that, and you can only get it if you're a member of the Friends organisation of this, that and the other. I mean, that's okay in a very sort of specific thing like an opera because the number of fans of that are... are it's a niche. Uh, yeah, are, are there. What I think we as artists have to be careful of because it's, it's just basically unfair is that organizations such as Netflix or, or YouTube or whatever benefit and profit hugely from putting that stuff out there without some sort of payment back yes. through some scheme, either, you know, for benevolent artists, benevolent thing, or, um, yeah, I mean, but you know, who knows, because maybe politically the future does belong to some kind of universal credit wage, you know, um, for all of us, whereby people would not be so dependent upon this item by item selling of oneself. I mm-hmm. mean, I rather like the sort of liberation of, you know, from from selling your wares, putting out your table, selling your wares to something whereby we all accept a certain wage over which, you know, you can earn more in some ways. But but the, it's you. I don't think you would if you if you knew you were okay for that month, that year, for the rest of your life. God help us. That then none. Uh, perhaps all those issues about payment and that become less important. Thing and one could say yes. Ten, that there's a thing of ten years where this thing is a commercial possibility. But after ten years, it goes into a general, you know, general slush fund. Um, and you can get access to it. You know, it, it, uh, maybe it would break the net, but it would be nice to think that you could almost get access to anything at any time mm. somewhere in the future. So if I talk to you about, you know, the, the something that I remember in the 1960s that I saw that I know was filmed, you know, we could actually immediately get any of that up on the screen. There's some of that now, but... There's millions more things that could obviously be out there. Yeah. I mean, I think what, what we're saying is that maybe this this whole thing is a, is a real pause and reflect. But not only just that, it's a time where one could begin to find out and dream about how all of this can affect the work of, you know, anybody involved in the in the arts in the future i mean perhaps not just the arts but in anything um you know if if it doesn't push a new agenda forward and i don't mean some sort of necessarily world communism or something but <laughs> just in terms of uh, just in terms of how we think in the future we need refreshing don't we i mean it, 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 yeah. if you're an artist if it's an you forget about being an individual artist but think about the art form you're working in you know, you have to accept this thing has to be refreshed. And that sometimes involves the way you've been thinking or the way you are is of no longer use to it. Um, You know, you have to know somehow that the whole business of being in the arts is that you've got to think afresh. I mean, the the great people I've ever admired tend to think afresh for every new piece they do, every new film, you know, every, you know, like, the sometimes like the Kubricks, like the, the, the Shakespeare's, like you know that they create a new poetry for each piece, a new world for each piece. Um, Wagner, uh, um, and we must use this, I think, to to think very much about where 
whatever we're involved with needs to go now. Yeah. Um, not just to think, oh, we can pick it all up again. Yeah, absolutely, because it's all going to change. Yeah, it should change. It needs to change in a lot of cases. I mean, as, as I think a lot of us feel about society in general, but certainly within the arts, um, yeah. you know, it needs to change. And and somehow how you have to therefore put yourself second to how this thing needs to change in order for it to happen. Mm. I mean, yeah, everyone's got to live. That's clear. Nobody should be doing things for free. But the most important thing is not how you're going to make a big profit out of this, uh, but 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 how do we get this thing full of new life? Last time we met, you were talking about a, um, you were working with uh, a whole cast of opera singers, but on a Shakespeare play, King Lear, I think. Yes. Um, is that still? Yes. I mean, I think there needs to be new initiatives. Um, again, things thought of in different ways. So a group of people that we've, worked closely together over the years within opera um so john tomlinson uh, kim begley uh, and then a whole group of slightly younger people sue bullock um emma bell uh and then some very young people who have just started like louise alder and a couple mm -hmm. of people from literally in the last years of, of music college training wanted to sort of get together and knock around um, doing some Shakespeare and, and the reason for this was that one of our number one of the lead guys um, was very very upset as often happens when they were in a uh, an opera being directed by a film director at uh -huh. a, an opera house and the film director said well look you know what I've done is it's a very very visual show because I know opera singers can't act so, you know, basically you do a show and you put them in front. I don't want them to act. They should just sing. Well, okay. you know, this is a red rag to a ball to a, a whole generation now of people have come up who are yeah, yeah. good actors, the straight theatre actors who, in fact, perhaps have more imaginative um, scope because of music being potentially a very liberating thing to the imagination to you know our shared experience what does that piece of music mean what does that lead to in the character what what are you feeling when you're standing on stage singing that concerning not you and the audience but concerning the character and the psychology of the character i mean you know all of that stuff that the, there's a great there's a great breadth of acting technique within all that and the idea is that you know if one brought that to something in the first instance that had a real music within it, like Shakespeare, where perhaps you could argue the psychology of the character has been really put into the poetry, into the rhythm, to the to the rhyme, to the enjambement of lines, how the thinking, how the imagery clusters happen. If you bring yeah. a kind of musical sensibility to some of that, does anything interesting come out of that? And and just the idea of trained voices and, and for the whole movement, which by and large I, I, I find, you know, really good and supportable of the psychological realism of the acting in Shakespeare. But is there not something else in the poetry, something a bit bigger that perhaps we've slightly lost in the recent recent years where there is a kind of i don't know almost an archetypal um feel um to to some of that stuff which which purely naturalistic playing does not liberate and so um yeah so a gang of us have got together with the idea of perhaps 
um, doing a Shakespeare play. First, we thought as a reading, but uh, as we've done a couple of sessions and what well, sessions we've done a few a couple of months on this sometimes with oh, wow. sort of small public stuff at the end of it for invited right. people. Um, the, the invited people have said, my God, this is absolutely amazing. And we've been specifically looking at King Lear, um, largely because, you know, John Tomlinson, Sir John, has been involved mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he sort of is King Lear in so many yeah. ways. Um, and so it's grown into the point where now we think we're on the brink of performing it for the public. Um, That's amazing. You know, as a proper rehearsed stage production, having spent, you know, different weeks over two years putting this together um yeah and, and so yes that, that 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 that's that's a kind of nice uh you know weird offshoot thing that again is provoked by people sitting around telling a story reacting to it and getting something going um yeah yeah not not supported by an opera company in the first thing it was just us doing it. and people gave weeks of their time just to have the fun of sitting in a room reading we've had people in to help us as well with with some of it you know in terms of uh, received wisdom about speaking Shakespeare and all that but but basically we, we've done it ourselves yeah no I mean that really chimes with me because uh, I've done a couple of um, you know small scale projects uh, using singers in a unexpected fashion shall we say um, so a few years ago I did uh, this was also part of my first foray into uh, directing a play for the first time because previously I'd only directed opera. And so I actually felt probably the driving factor was I felt a little bit timid about working with actors because I thought, you know, I don't, I haven't worked with actors before. I would, you know, seem like a, an incompetent fool. Um, but if I work with singers, then I would feel a little bit more comfortable because, you know, I know that the, 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 the sort of relationship that you have with a singer and a director. Um, and so I adapted some Chekhov uh, shorts, you know, these little yes. um, yeah, uh, one actors. Yeah, um, and so I, but I wanted to sort of modernize them. So I, I put them into, you know, a kind of modern vernacular, but um, also encouraged quite a bit of improvisation. Um, so we had a, we did have a properly written out script, but um, in rehearsal, it became apparent that it was going to be better if I allowed them some leeway uh to express things um and that that was really interesting and then the other project more recently was this follow the leader thing which i did um where i think all but one or possibly two uh of the people involved in this series of short films based on schubert leader yeah. um only a couple of them were actual professional actors all the rest were singers um and it was really interesting to get feedback and i got this quite a lot where people uh, expressed surprise at just how well these people came across on screen because they come with the preconception that uh, opera acting is completely overblown and that wouldn't read on screen at all because that's very much you know a more detailed um, subtle medium and they're like you know, how did you get such good performances out of the singers um, but I mean it, obviously I like to think that I contributed something but there was also a hell of a lot that the singers brought to that and uh, an innate understanding of how they needed to yeah. um, I guess expand and contract their performance yeah. um, well, I th according I think, it. I think that's true and and you you know I mean when we did a project together didn't we on on, on stuff in um, to be filmed at the opera studio 
And yeah. I didn't find that there was any problem. I think if you're a singer, perhaps some of the greatest acting I ever saw, in, in, in one sense, um, because it wasn't physicalized, but was um, uh, Dietrich Fischer Diskel doing an endless, well, a, a lot of recitals at the, the end of his career, um, where the man from song to song, and certainly over the arch of a, of a Schubert, song cycle i mean stood at the piano and became these characters and the way mm. he delivered the text in yeah. the singing um meant that somehow you were taken uh into the mind as though he was a large close-up uh in a movie um the, the way great actors you uh, uh de niro and nicholson all those people can take you to sort of behind their eyes um, yeah. and, um, you know, beyond Meryl Streep and, and Nicole Kidman and people. And you, you just feel, you've, you feel all the time um, that somehow within music, there is this, this psychological information that's being imparted by the music that it is not necessary for the actor to double underline by just simply reproducing what the music seems immediately to say. They need to be thinking, doing other things and treating the text. So the music becomes yep. a kind of subtextual thing, although that's not to diminish what I think of the importance of the music. Um, so I find it a very natural thing. If you think of great leader recitalists like Fischer Discal um, or Florian Bursch now, um, you, you just, you, 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 you're already there, really. Yeah. And the dramatic context suddenly for opera can be the close-up. I mean, what what I think gets confused or perhaps is not serving us necessarily well is somehow the way that we're now filming a lot of live transmissions where the singer, and I've had this when they did the ring, my ring cycle from Covent Garden for, for the BBC, the singers being very, very worried, do I perform this to the back of the amphitheatre at Covent Garden to two and a half thousand people, or do I perform this from the camera? Because they're absolutely aware the technique of those two things is different. Um, yeah. It's only, you know, it's only technique. Technique is a, a lot of stuff, but um, but but the, the, the idea that they somehow they can't do the other is crazy. And, and I think I, I like cinema, really. I like the democracy of it. I like um, I like the fact that you can begin to see the acting close up, but I think even more important would be to have projects in the future for for opera for singers, whereby you know you you really present it and do it as we did at the National Opera Studio for the camera solely for the camera. Yes, um, I think we 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 could do that. I think it would be. We'd make opera a much more interesting thing for a lot of young audiences who are used to that kind of format than you know the the big the big art house opera setup. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, just to go back on what you were saying about um, Fischer Dieskau and the and the close up, um, I, I wasn't ever fortunate enough to catch him um, in live recital, but uh, I've watched quite a lot of you know the films that were taken of those concerts, and one moment has always stuck in my mind for years now since I first saw it and he was singing Schubert's Im Abendrot mm -hmm. um, which is just such a gorgeous song yep. and he did the whole thing 
with his eyes closed. And it's quite, I mean, it's at least four minutes, possibly even five minutes, because it's, it's a really slow song and very intense. And there's, it, it's one of those Schubert things that's just crafted out of almost nothing. You know, it's a harmonic landscape and yeah. it's just beauty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the camera director chose to hold for the whole song on this close-up of his face, even though he had his eyes closed. Yeah. But it yeah. was still utterly riveting because yeah. all the emotion was still in his face and and he closed off his eyes i mean which is yeah. normally you know the the soul of the emotion in a close-up yeah. um no i think that that's right but then that's about that's also about the artistry of of we who do it isn't it because that's a risk um but nothing much in art was really achieved without a lot of risk and and that you you know you're always trying new things some of which work some of which don't and I think yeah. the other thing about it to me is that there is so much operatic sort of repertoire out there, which is not just about music, but is about the relationship of music to text. I mean, you could say it's true of Mozart and Da Ponte. Um, it's, it really comes alive again in later Verdi, but also totally uh, Wagner and then right into the 20th century. And I've begun to realize as, as my life's gone on, I, I, I'm, I'm not having started going seeing all the Sutherland stuff and everything. I'm, I'm not now so interested personally in the kind of bel canto and that rep, which can have some of that, but it needs such extraordinary one-off talents to do that. But the whole rest of the, the operatic literature, this relationship between text and music and intelligent text, intelligent libretti and and the score is to me so, so rich and so exciting. And most of it from 1880 on, unless it's unless it's um, basically Puccini or Richard Strauss, we've neglected and why we've cut that off i.e we've more or less cut off 50 percent of the richness of our our library um and explored the singing musical side without the text singing and the dramatic side being as important and as long as we do that i really believe it will be a limited very limited art form in its in its purchase but were we to find ways in which we could make that more obvious and more clear which i think somehow the film video stuff is or could be i think and and that people get a chance to realize the power of that when that's really happening i think that is the future but you know it's <laughs> i could just be arguing for the kind of pieces i like <laughs> um, I'm working in those rather than those I don't. Yeah, sure, but no, I mean, I I think what you say is is totally true. It's, um, you know, it's this old chestnut that um, classical music as a whole has been dying uh, almost since the time it was invented. Um, but you know, it can only survive by adapting to um, new mediums. And um, um, you know, somebody came up with the statistic recently that most people now, because of cinema broadcasts, um hear opera through electronic media and yeah. and you know is it, you can argue about that till the cows come home but that's the fact so let's get the electronic media better 
It wouldn't yep. be the same as. Um, it can, in some ways, be better than. Yes, um, it is. And and let's you know let's get in there and 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 create new formats for this. I don't think the answer either is just you know is having large screens in opera houses and and using a lot of video material. We've done that a bit. It's yeah. we've done yeah. ten years of that. It's kind of great. It's interesting. It's it it's a first step, but yeah. but that 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 ain't anywhere near where the potential of this could 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 lead us. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of thought has to go into it now. And, and in a way, a certain amount of investment, not just money, but, but time and experiment. Mm-hmm.